This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Thank you, everyone, for joining us once again. You are listening to Evidence for Faith, the official voice of Ratio Christi. This is the Christian Evidences and Worldview radio program where we give you the evidence that shows that Christianity is true. I'm Keith Kendricks, and today we have a couple of exciting guests. We're going to be having assisting in the co-host chair, Dr. Anuel Hernandez, who has been a guest on the show a couple of times now. He is en route to the studio, though. So he is a chaplain for the reserves and was up at Fort Dix and is having a little bit of trouble getting back here. So he'll be joining us later. But today we also have Lenny Esposito, an apologist, and we'll be talking to him about several exciting topics I do want to mention that you should check out our website, Evidence for Faith, at evidenceforfaith.com. Evidence, the number four, faith.com. And check us out on Facebook. If you like podcasts, we have podcasts available through iTunes. And if you use Android systems, then you can find us on Double Twist. So, and also check out the ratiochristi.org website. Well, Rather than me just talking to myself about news items and quotes of the day and this or that, I think I'm going to bring our first guest on. Uh, Lenny Esposito is an apologist. He's a speaker, teacher. He's been an acquaintance of mine now for several years and become a friend. We, Well, I'll just bring him on. Lenny, welcome to Evidence for Faith. Hi, Keith. Good to talk with you again. We've gotten to know each other pretty well. We've traveled to Jerusalem together. That's right. Uh, traveled, traveled to Wisconsin, uh, <laughs> Minnesota, and other places around the country together. Yes, yes, and uh, and it's always a blessing to uh, to talk with folks uh, such as yourself who are doing so much uh, to advance thoughtful Christianity uh, across the country on the college campuses as well as in your larger uh, sphere of influence here. So I'm happy to be here. And you are the president and founder of Come Reason Ministries, an apologetics teaching ministry, and you hang out in my old stomping grounds, Southern California. How are you liking the weather down there, Lenny? Yeah, it's actually uh, kind of cold today, a little little overcast and rainy, so it's about the mid-50s, which is, you know, winter for us here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it, yeah, it, did overall, you have to break it's, out it's that light beautiful. sweater that you need for emergencies in the wintertime? That's right. That's what. That's what. Uh, and a matter of fact, we had a guest speaker uh, once come in who was an Australian. He couldn't figure out what the story was with California because the news reports will always say things like storm watch, and he was, you know, concerned. It was his first time in the area, and and he found out that that whenever the news broadcast shout out storm watch, it means you'll need a sweater when you go outside. So right. That, right. that tends exactly. to be Southern California weather. <laughs> that's the way it is. Yeah. Uh, when I moved to the East Coast about 20 years ago, I couldn't believe that people actually lived here. <laughs> so uh, yeah. it was quite a change. 
So you're out there and you attend Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, right? Right, right. Greg Laurie's church. Um, yeah, my sister, when she lived there, uh, used to attend there. And I went to Cal Baptist in Riverside for a okay. while. Uh, that was some good times back then. Southern California is a nice place to live. Yeah, a lot of things, a lot of things going on. So, and uh, like I said, it's exciting to see. Um, it, it's also been a hotbed with Biola University. Of course, you know that you're, it's your alma mater now, uh, right. and and other, you know. Uh, the uh, ICR was uh, first started here, Walter Martin's organization. A lot of apologetics has come out of the Southern California area, and so that's that's been uh, really an exciting thing to see as well, uh, especially as it now starts to uh, really make its way across many other areas of the country. And I'm gr- really glad to see that. Absolutely. Well, before we get into our topic of the day, Lenny, we have a couple of news items, and I always start things out with a quote. So uh, this is a quote from Jonathan Edwards. Did you know Jonathan Edwards made some New Year's resolutions? Did you make any New Year's resolutions this year? Well, I, you know, I heard a couple of resolutions uh, that made a whole lot of sense. Um, I'm not a big resolution guy. I had one individual tell me he resolved never to take a laxative and a sleeping pill at the same time. I thought that was smart. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, I try to resolve, uh, to only make New Year's resolutions that I can keep. And I figure if I keep it to that one resolution, I know I'll, I'll make it. So there you go. Well, uh, well, our quote of the day or of the week is from Jonathan Edwards. He says he made two resolutions. He said, resolution one, I will live for God. Resolution two, if no one else does, I still will. Yes, that's a great quote. So there you go. There's our quote for the week. And I ran across a couple interesting items in my readings that were really small items, not really worth making a whole show out of. And so I've been kind of saving these. This was from the Journal of Creation, and it's about one of life's big bangs. There, you know, we all think of the Big Bang as the universe popping into existence out of nowhere. And, you know, how do you explain that? Well, there's a lot more than just that one Big Bang. You know, we also know, you know, how, okay, so there's a universe, but uh, the universe is also fine-tuned. How did it get fine-tuned? There's life. Where did life come from? That's a Big Bang. And then people think of the Cambrian explosion as a Big Bang of all the different body types in the fossil record, but there's one more Big Bang that doesn't get a lot of attention, and it's this idea about the single cell. Once you've got life, once you have a single cell, how do you get to a multicellular organism? Yeah, that's a good question, how how you uh, begin the process of replication, and and some of the some of the you know secular uh, theories out there really that's why they have to start with an RNA world, which is a, a idea that the RNA has in its nature the ability to uh, be copied because DNA is the foundation, so RNA is to be copied. The problem, of course, is you need enzymes to copy RNA, and you need DNA to produce the enzymes. So you have a chicken and the egg scenario still. It's 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 a conundrum exactly. that's not been solved. That's right, and and that's even just still at the same singular, the single cell uh, stage, for single cells to be able to become multicellular, you have, you need all kinds of new information that you did not have before. In fact, you really need 
information about information because you've got to be – the cells have got to be able to communicate with each other in order for the multicellular organism to coordinate its actions, the different parts of it. Mm-hmm. So, And then you've got the problem. So now once you've got that communication, now you've got the problem of how do you build it? How do you reproduce? How You have to have a developmental pathway now so that the new organism can develop from a single cell. So you basically need a whole new set of blueprints with timings and how is this, what part's going to be built first, when, when do you stop, when do you build the next part, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that really is something that is a whole nother big bang of life. So it was a very, very interesting article from uh, Journal of Creation. Then I ran across this also. Lenny, I don't know if you've run across this. This was about the colors that are in butterfly wings. Have you seen any of the research that's been done on this? No, this sounds interesting. Well, you know, colors are mainly from pigments. We see we, we, when we see something red, what's really happening is that the, the white light, the, the full spectrum light, is bouncing off of that red object, and the, the rest of the light other than red is being absorbed. So there are molecules in the pigment that absorb those wavelengths of light and the except for the red and the red gets bounced back and that's why things look red and they look less red or or more red depending on how much red is bounced back now then you can have another type of color and be from a fluorescence where that's that molecule is actually creating light but butterflies at least some butterflies have colors that are incredibly brilliant. They seem to be much, much sharper than any possible pigment. And after much investigation, they have figured out that it's because it's not done by pigments. There are actually structures on the surface of the butterfly wing that are called photonic structures. And these structures actually manipulate photons in order to create the colors that the butterfly is representing on its on its wing. So this is an incredible now so this is actual in a sense hardware. This is machinery. It is scales and fibers and hairs that are so precisely fine-tuned that when a photon comes strikes the mechanism, it actually either absorbs or reflects and it does it in such a way that it creates harmonics at the wavelength of the light so that it either it, it either will totally cancel the light out through harmonics or it will emphasize the light and will actually send back the color blue much more vividly than the blue photons that it received. Is that amazing? Wow, that's, that's very interesting. I've not seen any of that research. So Yeah, yeah so another example of some of the incredible complexity that is out there and that just makes no sense to have arisen in any kind of a uh, random process even given adaptation and uh, natural selection. Right. So uh, then there was this final piece that I want to look at before we get into our topics for today. Now, this is from Salvo Magazine. Are you familiar with Salvo Magazine, Lenny? Um, only, you know, as a, as a uh, bypassing title. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. It's uh, very well written. It's, I think, aimed at the college-age kid, and we'll be talking okay. about apologetics in the university in a few minutes here. They're tagline is society sex and science and very well written 
good Christian writers in there. And there was this very interesting article about neuroplasticity. So, Lenny, I know you're a very knowledgeable apologist. Have you run across neuroplasticity in any of your research? Um, the idea that uh, brain paths can be kind of remapped in you order got to... It. Yeah, in order to you got it. That's right. We've talked about it on the show here, and there's been a lot of interesting research done. It's it's one of the evidences that there is a mind. There is something non-physical actually running the brain because of research done down at UC Irvine, uh, where they showed that giving people new ideas allowed their mind to reorder their brain to rewire their brain. And uh, so this is an article by Robin Phillips. It's called The Neurotransformers, Culture and the Malleability of the Human Brain. A very interesting article. It goes over some of the studies. Uh, for instance, there was a study of London taxicab drivers in the late 90s and showed how when a person joins, they have to take an exam, and the exam is an incredibly difficult memory test. So they spend years actually training for this to take this exam by memorizing all the street names in London. And it turns out they did studies. It turns out that their brains will actually physically change. So, you know, in the evolutionary atheistic world, the brain is the changer of your thoughts. Right. How is it that it's going the other way around? So this article goes on to say that the brain is a muscle, that it responds just like your muscles do to exercise. And it gives the example of blind people, how, you know, without that capability of eyesight, they use other parts of their brain to increase their ability to hear sounds. And so blind people show an incredible ability to hear sounds that other people cannot hear. It also talks about stroke victims, how if your brain is damaged, the brain will modify itself to allow those form those uh, damaged areas to be taken over and so that you can walk again sometimes and some some victims uh, will be able to walk again because other parts of the brain take over for the damaged parts. Right. And then I don't know if you're familiar, there were some studies done on the ability of sin to affect your brain. So when you sin, that also rewires your brain. Your behavior basically rewires your brain. But this article was concentrating mostly on culture. So it was saying that the culture, the the world around us, very subtly and unconsciously rewires us because we accept this as normal and true. So what is around us, the surrounding culture, becomes for us normal and that becomes wired into our brain and that's what makes it essentially feel normal. Our taste in music, our taste in foods, our family interactions, how we interact with each other. For instance, it talked about our attitudes toward the elderly. Even how close we stand to each other when we're talking. These are cultural things and Mm -hmm. in different cultures, different parts of the world, these will be different and those will feel normal to those people. Just as the way we do it here in the United States feels normal to us. The emphasis here, the whole point of this is that immorality in a culture can begin to feel normal. And, uh, you know, you can think back to the Roman Empire, which prided itself on being a virtuous society, and yet they had no concept of mercy. You know, they thought that that was evil, a weakness to be merciful. So, 
our society can be changing. Uh, we can, by wanting to be normal, by wanting to fit in, by wanting to be fashionable and popular, we just kind of adapt the culture around us, and that begins to feel normal so that we can actually be rewired without conscious thought. That's the interesting part about this article. And that's basically what the point of it was. And it just gave a warning to parents, you know, to realize that a lot of thinking is caught and not taught. And so we have to pay attention to the environment that our kids are in, the school, TV, daycare. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that's not never more prevalent than it is on colleges today because uh, really what we see when I go out and, and I take kids onto campuses of major universities and have them engage with the students there, and what we see is many times no one has actually thought through their either their moral positions on certain issues, but they've reacted to what they've heard, what their friends stand for. Um, or what they just generally, you know, have watched their uh, peer group do and say. Yes. And because of that, uh, what we found is that uh, many, many times uh, they have very strong opinions because they feel it. It's a feel culture right now. They feel right. like this is the right thing. They want to be good people. They want to be right people. But what they actually stand for is a very wrong idea, yet they have no way of expressing why they hold such views uh, other than just the most basic level of it hurts other people or it makes other people feel bad or something like that. Uh, and, and that's about as far as they can go. So we do, you know, in college is one of the most formative years mentally as well as emotionally, and, uh, and, and it shapes your worldview for many years to come. And, and this is one of the things that we see over and over again. Feels like it's time for me to remind people that if you're just joining us, you are listening to Evidence for Faith, a ministry of Ratio Christi. I'm Keith Kendricks, and we're talking with apologist Lenny Esposito from California. And into the studio has walked Enwell Hernandez. Welcome, Enwell. Thank you, Keith, for having me. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you and also with uh, Dr. Esposito. And we were just getting started talking about the university setting and ministry to the university students. So, Lenny, what's the biggest issue that you think is important for us to realize when we are involved in ministry to uh, university students? Oh, well, moral relativism is far and away um, one of the most prevalent problems that I've seen on campus. Uh, one of the things that we've done is we started taking some of our students, high school and college students, uh, to some of the more, um, probably the, 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 the bastions of liberality uh, that, that exist. So we'll take them up to UC Berkeley, and uh, we'll go on campus and we'll engage with students. And uh, I had one conversation with a college girl who was, who was holding up a sign. It was very interesting because she was supporting a friend of hers who was running for student council. So she's making, a, she's making a, an effort saying that this individual would be good for student council. Well, when we started to engage her, we started asking her about, you know, what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. Uh, and she, could basic, she basically said there's no such thing really as good as bad. Everybody interprets it through their own lens. 
So everybody feels what is good for them. I said, now, wait a minute, that can't be true. You're sitting here holding up a sign for your friend. You're telling other people that they should vote for this guy. And she said, well, the only reason I'm doing that is because he's been really nice to me. <laughs> so you don't, you don't believe in his. And as our conversation progressed, I said, well, are you mean to tell me that if somebody came and, and grabbed your sister over here, and her sister was standing beside her, and began to attack her and wanted to rape her, that that would be good for him? If he really believed that that was good for him, we should just let it happen? And she was so committed to her view that you can't say what's good and what's bad. She said, well, yeah, I guess we'd have to do that. Wow. Now, that, it, it takes my breath away. And you know, and I know, and this is what I told her, I said, I don't think that if this was reality, in other words, if somebody actually were doing that, I don't think you would have that same position. I think you're doing this because you think this is some kind of intellectual exercise and you don't want to lose. But if somebody actually came up, you'd say, hey, can somebody do something? You'd be screaming for help right now. I don't think that you're being honest with yourself. And this is the problem that we see over and over and over again on our college campuses. How do we talk to them about their sin nature? How do we talk to them about the existence of God if they don't have any grounding of what right and wrong is to begin with? So we have to talk about the idea of absolute truth first, and then from absolute truth and absolute, you know, there are real things that we can know, then we can start to progress towards um, some of the more specific issues within Christendom. Now, you know, we are a radio ministry of Ratio Christi, which is the whole ministry is to reach out to university students and we don't have a specific curriculum that is kind of recommended, although there's lots of resource help. That is one of the areas that I have particularly focused on for Stockton College, which is the local college that I work with, with Ratio Christi. And I couldn't agree more with, uh, with you, Lenny, about how important it is for students to really understand how to think. Now, you know, in a sense, we all think logically for the most part. But what we don't realize is that we're making subtle mistakes and we build upon those mistakes. So once you've made a subtle mistake, now even though you continue to be logical, you're still going to run, arrive at the wrong conclusion because you made that early mistake. So there are areas of logic that we need to strengthen. We need to learn the laws of logic. And we also need to learn where it is that people typically go wrong. What kind of fallacies do people right. fall into on a regular basis? And it's amazing to see the way that these students will really glom onto this and really be attracted to it because it's not like anything that they have typically heard or been through. It's only if you intentionally take classes in logic or philosophy that you run into this kind of thing. Right. Yeah, we've, uh, in matter of fact, one of the things that I've felt um, called to do is in high school ministries and in local churches uh, to begin reaching out at that level to the church body first so that they can be equipped in that way. And and we, we actually have, matter of fact, uh, we're starting today a series uh, where we're going to be walking through critical thinking and, and how to form, you know, a deductive argument or an inductive argument. What, what are formal fallacies? What are informal fallacies? And people take comfort in the fact that there is a solid foundation now upon which they can base their beliefs. The foundation has always been there, but it's strengthened usually through the, through the understanding that 
Christianity is a is a rational, it's an intellectual belief right. system as much as it is merely, you know, a faith. What the modern culture would say is it's 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 more than just belief. You know, I had a lunch with a, a lady who I was talking to. She says, "Well, there's no such thing as truth." And I said, "What are you talking about? The Earth is 93 million miles away from the Sun. You know." Uh, Gravity pulls at 3.91 meters per second squared, you know, and you go, well, those are facts. That's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what? Can you make the distinction for me then, please? And, And what she was actually trying to say was that only science can give you true knowledge. Everything else is up to you. And of course, then you ask, well, what kind of science did you do to find that statement out? You know, what did you boil? Did you boil something over a Bunsen burner until it turned purple and that's how you knew that only science? Because you're making a claim and your very claim isn't scientific, but it's a claim about truth. And this is, these are the kinds of things that we see all the time. And when you start to show that to folks, to people in the church, they start to go, oh, of course. But uh, until then, they may be tongue-tied by such a response. Now, the, now, this perfectly fits into what we talked about, about that the culture yeah. Wiring our brain. So we naturally want to think logically, but we're being wired to think in this relativistic sort of way. So we have to keep creating these new categories. So we say, oh, well, oh, yeah, of course there is such a thing as truth, but that's only in the realm of science. So, And we don't realize the fallacies that we're making. I like to approach at this age group, at the age group of high school and college, not just, okay, I'm going to teach you about logic because people just don't want to hear that. But I like to approach it from the idea of, are you being lied to? Is there, how does propaganda work? And show that propaganda works by playing on fallacies. And once you can recognize these fallacies and these logical errors, guess what? Propaganda begins to lose its power over you and lose its hold over you. And I think young people are very keen to this. They very much want to be able to recognize when they're being lied to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great approach. And and it will resonate with... with uh individuals who are, you know, used to hearing that either government's lying to you or big business is lying to you or, or something like that. So I, I think that uh, I, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And, and that's going to be a very effective way of, of opening people up to these ideas. Now, are, you're working with high school age when you take them up to college, or are you we'll working do, with a university near you, Lenny? We'll do uh, anywhere from, say, 14, 15 years old, all the way up to 25 or 26. Um, we've done these missions trips in the past. We've gone to UC Berkeley. We'll normally invite a couple of atheists uh, to come out and present in front of my students. I give them 20 minutes. They will, you know, give me your best case for atheism. And they're thrilled. The atheists are thrilled that they can walk in front of a group of Christian kids and present their case for atheism, you know, for 20 minutes solid. But then the kids, I have my students ask them questions afterwards and try to say, well, wait a minute, does your position hold? Uh, then we'll take them out on campus like UC Berkeley or something like that and go out there. Uh, we've also gone to Salt Lake City and done this in the Temple Square and talked with Mormons. And this year, in June, we're actually going out to Dearborn, Michigan, which is um, probably the highest concentration of Muslims anywhere in the country, where they still do calls to prayer over the loudspeaker. And in, in June, I'm taking a group of kids down to Dearborn, Michigan, and uh, we're going to do the same thing with Islam. We're going to bring out a couple of imams and work with some of the ministries there. So, 
Wonderful. Now, what will you be doing at Dearborn? Will you be uh, doing going to the Arab Fest? Yes, we're planning it to coincide with the International Arab Festival. Uh, we'll be working a little bit with Josh McDowell's ministry, who's going to be out there. Abdu uh, Murray, uh, Alethea right. International, is uh, working very closely with us to set up some of these things. Uh, in, so he's got uh, he's helping me kind of with his boots on the ground there as well. And uh, that's what we're planning on doing is is to really expose uh, folk to different worldviews and to just interact, to not fight. Uh, but and what we've found is when we go on campuses, we actually use surveys instead of just you know we don't come up with a Bible and wave it in somebody's face. We say, can we ask you about your position? I, I have the uh, belief that the second grade class picture principle is always most, the most effective. And okay, what tell I, us what that what is. What I mean by that is if you look at a, you know, remember your second grade class photo where you had 30 kids and the teachers at both ends? Whenever they passed that out, what's the first thing that you ever did? You look for yourself. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> so if you ask questions, people love to talk about themselves. If you ask them what their beliefs are, you don't, you don't bear the burden of proof. You're just trying to understand where someone else is coming from. And what you'll find is they start to realize that their views really contradict themselves. So that's kind of the approach we use. You know, Lenny, that is very interesting listening to you and uh, the type of apologetic approach that you have, because in my doctoral dissertation, that is precisely the foundation of what I found out, that you ask the right questions and people will give you answers. And finally, they will come to a point and understand that, wait a minute, even what I am saying does not make any sense. And it opens where it opens the mind of the person saying, all right, I'm holding to this view. However, it is not logically consistent. Yeah. And and I think that it's what's going on in our culture right now, that there are many cliches out there. They tend to be repeated. People take it as fact, but they haven't analyzed what actually the cliche is saying. Uh, I'm very glad I read the book, and I'm sure you read it, The Closing of the American Mind, yeah. where it explains, you know, what happened to our universities and all that. And, and what you're talking about. It's very close to my heart because I think there is a great ministry now for the youth, especially those who are graduating from high school and those who are in college right now, on which we can teach them how to think logically because it's not just because it's philosophically good rather than I believe that God is logic, logical, I should say. Uh, God is not illogical. And in our worship of uh, God, we are to take our minds and our bodies to offer him that as a living sacrifice. Uh, but I, I, I was thinking to myself now, Lanny, uh, do you think that the church is ready, is equipped to prepare uh, teachers or lay uh, ministers to go out and uh, touch the lives of uh, the, the youth in high schools and colleges. And I know that we are a very selective group as apologists. Sure. But I think, do you, do you believe that the church right now is equipped to its well, fullest to I, impact I the culture and to impact the universities? It's a, it's a good question. Um, I think that there's a lot of desire out there and what we've seen through all the polling and everything. I mean, most churches are recognizing now that, that we're, we're hemorrhaging uh, students as they go off to college. Right. They see that. They just don't know how to approach it. So what, right. one of the things that my ministry does is I will go to various churches and set up these, these opportunities. So if you have a passionate desire in your, in your church or in your group, 
you know, give us a call and we'll we'll work with you and help you set something up. It doesn't always have to be, you know, going across the country. If, you know, uh, Keith is doing it right there at Stockton. You go to any major university, you'll find this worldview. Uh, And so it's so we try to help folks in that way. Now, I want to kind of tag on to something you said earlier, Dr. Hernandez, when you mentioned that it's, it's not merely, you know, this idea of my thoughts are better than your thoughts or my thoughts are... It has real practical implications. And this mm-hmm. is the second half of my burden, kind of something that has just come up to me over the past year. I have a friend who's uh, in uh, Vincenza, Italy, uh, stationed at a base there. Um, and her family, they're, they're stationed uh, at the U.S. Army garrison in Vincenza. And her daughter was getting... Um, she, she told me two things. First of all, her daughter goes to the base school there, and none of the kids have a grounding in religious beliefs, so she's kind of getting pummeled. But the bigger problem is that military facility is getting hit very, very hard from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, so much so that they've lost nearly 100 service members, and a lot of that is due to suicide. Now, why is suicide an epidemic in the armed services today? And it's worse now than it's ever been. The U.S. Army has has made that uh, statement. And I firmly believe it's because we are putting moral relativists into battle situations where they cannot, once they're faced with the reality of kill or be killed, they're having a very difficult time making a real distinction between what is right, what is necessary, and and dealing with that and processing it all. And so we're getting we're seeing more post-traumatic stress disorder than ever. We're seeing more suicide rates than ever. Um, your worldview affects things in real life yes. as much as it affects in everything else. And that's that's another. So we've had an opportunity to go there uh, and start talking to some of these uh, folks in military bases. And I don't know of any apologist who's reaching out to all of our military personnel. I think that's a that's a great uh, harvest field waiting uh, for well, someone to come along and be harvested. And that's something else that I've kind of been motivated for. So we Before we turn that corner, let, let me just remind people if, that if they're just joining us, if they're just tuning in, you are listening to Evidence for Faith, a ministry of Ratio Christi. I'm Keith Kendricks, and with me is Dr. Enwell Hernandez and apologist Lenny Esposito. And we're talking about, we've been talking about the need to bring apologetics to the university setting, and we're now going to be talking about the need for apologetics in the military. And, and well, that's one of the reasons I wanted you to be here today helping to co-host, because you yourself are a chaplain. Can you give people details on that? Absolutely. Uh, and I'm glad that uh, I could be a testimony of an answer prayer that Lanny had. Uh, there are very few of us apologists in the military right now, and the only way where we can approach our servicemen is by the ministry of the chaplaincy. So the Lord has called many of us to go into the chaplaincy, but also with a background of apologetics so we can reach our troops in Afghanistan and Iraq and even at home. And I, I, am, I agree uh, very much with what Lanny has said, and is that this process of moral relativism has infiltrated the uh, not only the church, not only our culture, but also it's engraved in our military customs and courtesies. I remember back in the day where we had absolute moral values, and even our military was derived out of absolute moral values. We have a uh, an honor code, which is uh, in, divided in three parts. It's honor, courage, and commitment. And out of that, we 
we emphasize our, all of our military life. But yes, we do see that there is a lot of situational ethics because of the moral relativism that has been engraved in the chain of command, beginning from the top spheres of our chain of command in the military. Uh, there, there is a moral relativism, which it only hinders the fabric of our military personnel. And like you said, I, I absolutely agree with you, Lanny. When you have a moral relativism in there, there is no foundation for any type of situational ethics. There's no foundation when they have a problem. Where do they go? One person has one opinion. The other person has another opinion. And when this military personnel, they encounter a, a trauma, where do they look for when everybody's got different answers? Now, if we were to have a standard, an absolute moral value, when these traumas surface, then they have where to go. And we know the fact that there's only one truth out there is Jesus Christ. But once again, this will bring a lot of uh, uh, hardships to our chaplains out there in the military when they're being cornered by the type of things that they could or could not say because right. of the current uh, politics and the current issues, which is a, a separate thing from another day, but it absolutely influenced our military personnel, especially our chaplains and all of our brothers and sisters are armed. Now, yeah. uh, and well, tell us a little bit about your actual uh, chaplaincy. So you're with the reserves, or right now I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Navy reserved chaplain. Mm -hmm. I'm assigned to a Marine unit, so I deal day with day with a lot of Marines, and especially as Lanny has said, the uh, the cases of suicide, the cases of PTSD, they have escalated within the last few years, and there have been many studies done. Uh, within the military to find out exactly what's going on with the military personnel. And many of us have come to the conclusion, and many of these studies have come to the conclusion, it is that there is not an objective standard of truth that has been imposed in the military. We used to have it, mm. but not anymore. The culture has so influenced our politicians, has so much influence our military process that there is no longer that cohesion that existed in the past. And I think we have to go back again to our roots, go back again to the foundation and bring back those moral standards that we had since the beginning, since the history of the United States where, you know, the beginning of General George Washington within the, uh, the wars that were here, all of them believed in a standard of truth. And that standard of truth was based in a person, which is the embodiment of truth, our Lord Jesus Christ. What's been your experience trying to reach out to the military? Well, I haven't had a whole lot uh, other than uh, just a few personal encounters. Um, this is this is the first large-scale event that uh, we're going to try and attempt to do. Uh, where we've talked with the chaplaincy, who was uh, you know this is a, a, one of the largest bases in Southern Europe, uh, and they are they are all behind us. The 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 commanding chaplain there is and the commanding officer as well. They are very positive in in this respect. So we've uh, we've been working with them, and and I think you know we're still talking about 
someone who's a similar age to a university student. We're still right. talking about an individual whose uh, life is being formed and his and shaped and his worldview is is forming at that same point in time uh, through these significant life changing events. And so my goal would be, and as I've done before when I've when I've talked a few times, is to start talking about ethics and what again what grounds your ethics. Can you tell me, you know, if we can if we can get them to at least start to understand the concept of absolute truth. Um, I was talking with Greg Kokel and a couple of other guys, uh, and we were talking about the World War II uh, era and why it seems that there's so much more PTSD and stuff now than there was at that point in time. And one of the revelations that I said is, well, you have to remember that those individuals, that entire generation was shaped by the Depression. They had come from 10 years of understanding that if you worked all day for a quarter, you brought that quarter home, you laid it down on the family table because the family needed it. Uh, in the Revolutionary War, you fought and understood that, you know, if you were the first line against the British, you're probably going to get a musket ball. But you do that because the sake of liberty is one that's worth more than the sake of the individual. And today we flip that on its head and we've said the individual is worth everything. Right. It's an iPhone, iPad, iGeneration. Everything's about me. And so um, it's no wonder that these kids now can't figure out which way is up when they come into these situations where they're pressed to do things that, that kind of go against their uh, personal safety or go against, you know, what they may have felt is the right thing to do. So my goal would be to, to reach out to them and, and start to talk to them from that there is, there is an ethical framework, there is truth, truth is good, truth is worth, you know, uh, more than than any you know any one individual uh, and uh, and there's reasons why we fight for truth. So right. starting Lenny, you couldn't have uh, segued more appropriately into this article that I had sitting here. I thought, well, I guess I won't use this today, but now I have to bring it up. Yesterday was published in the Daily Mail an article about a survey. This is called the American Freshman Survey, which has been asking students to rate themselves compared to their peers since 1966. So and what was this in? Roughly, are you familiar with this study? No, no. I mean, what, what, where was it published? It was, um, this article that I'm reading is a news article about the study. Oh, Let okay. me see if they mention where it was published. This is from the Daily Mail. And they, the psychologist was Gene Twinge, and it does not say, maybe later on it says uh, where it was published. But apparently roughly 9 million young people have taken this survey over the last 47 years. And I'll just read this paragraph here. It says, psychologist Gene Twinge and her colleagues compiled the data and found that over the last four decades, there's been a dramatic rise in the number of students who describe themselves as being above average in areas of academic ability, drive to achieve, mathematical ability, and self-confidence. And then it goes on to say that while students are much more likely to call themselves gifted in writing abilities, objective test scores actually show that their writing abilities are far less than those of their 1960s counterparts. So actual abilities is declining because the universities are no longer teaching, but they are teaching self-love and kids are just really narcissistic now. There's one other thing that's worth mentioning. It says that in the time spent studying, uh, a third of the students study for six or more hours a week compared to half in the 80s. 
Yeah. It's interesting, Keith. These studies have shown for a fact that there is a, a decrease in the intellectual fiber of our university students. And it, it only boggles my mind that if this decrease in the intellectual uh, fabric of our youth uh, what's going to happen 10, 20 years from now? I, I see it, and I don't know if you see it the same way as I do, Lanny, that there's going to be an elite class of those who have gone through uh, universities and have actually learned and those who have not. And one will be a controlling mass and the other one is going to be controlled. And I don't know if you see it the same way as I do. Yeah, it, it seems that that's the pattern that we're being set up uh, to follow, that, you know, leave everything to the experts. Uh, you know, I, in high school, I read Alex Huxley's Brave New World, and uh, between that and George Orwell, it, it, it painted a picture of where we were heading even at that time. And unfortunately, that's coming more and more true as we, as we abandon the life of the mind. So, And then the, the, the question to follow will be is that what are we doing uh, what are we going to do, and how are we going to do this? Right, right, exactly, and that's and that's why you know what I've again what I found is if you start with the kids, kids naturally want to know the truth. Um, what high schools, although many high school youth groups are you know movie nights and pizza parties, um, kids like the hard questions. They like to wrestle with these issues, and when they find that the church can provide the answers, which was the historic position of the church, it used to yes. be whenever the smartest guy in town was the guy who went to seminary. He yes, was the one that's who right. learned in everything, and and we've we've lost that. We never we look to the to the guy in the white coat to tell us which gum to chew now, uh, right. and and we need to get back the the point where we lead the discussion on these issues, not just follow along. In the past, I remember that any Christian could outthink anyone out there because we had a foundation, and I think we have lost that. In a sense, I am very glad that we are making a comeback at the university level, especially in the departments of philosophy nowadays. Yes, uh, that you know, as Christians, we are being looked up uh, by the atheists and many others uh, within the academia, especially in the philosophy departments. Yeah, as a matter of fact, last year I had a debate at University of California Riverside with atheist Richard Carrier, who's a kind of a fairly famous internet atheist, and the room was packed. It was packed with people, and beforehand we had heard comments like, well, the Christian's just going to say that, you know, he feels God in his heart, so he knows he's... And afterwards, that same gentleman came up and said, I want to thank you because you didn't do that. You actually gave real reasons. You were the most eloquent, articulate speaker I've heard in a long time, and I want to thank you for that. And these are non-believers now who we're, we're making headway with because they don't dismiss Christianity as, as some sort of, uh, you know, hopeful fiction. So so we can do this again if we stand up and start thinking appropriately. And then, like I say, in our high schools, in our youth groups, start asking the hard questions, start answering them, and uh, offering something more that the students really can get their teeth into. Lenny, tell us a little bit about this uh, conference you're doing in Italy, is it? Well, yeah, we're going to, uh, it's uh, northern Italy. And uh, we're going to, it's at uh, Caserma Adurle, which is where the uh, U.S. Army Africa headquarters is, I guess. Uh, it's the Southern European Task Force is based there. And uh, we're just uh, going to two or three days where we're going to be talking with folks at, at 
different bases. We're going to be talking to the kids in the in the high school there, but we're also going to be addressing the service members directly at two different Army bases in that area. And uh, what I hope to do is parlay this into a larger uh, approach. Now, uh, I've got a host, and, and she's at the base. She's helping us uh, with all of the... Uh, formalities and things like that. The only thing that we're working on is we're still working on getting uh, a little bit of funding to get there because it's not cheap to get to Italy anymore. So uh, that's the, if, if you or any of your listeners would want to uh, support uh, us in that trip, you can go to secure.comreason.org and uh, provide a donation to help us uh, get to Italy. And uh, what I hope to do is to turn this one opportunity into many to, you know, uh, as Dr. Hernandez said, maybe go to uh, the bases in Texas and Georgia. And even we have, you know, El Toro out here in California and start Lenny, developing. Real, real quick, with uh, that website that you mentioned, uh, can the people actually log into there and probably get the resource of this conference and benefit from it also? Yes, there's, there's, we have uh, a podcast, we have over 80 different articles, uh, we have teachings, CDs, DVDs, YouTube videos, comereason.org ha has a wide variety of apologetics issues on almost every topic under the sun, including these, and we will, we will try to videotape these and put them on our YouTube channel for you. Great. Lenia, it's uh, wonderful to speak with you again, and uh Good luck on this approach, uh, and hopefully you'll get many different inroads into the military. I know my son is down at Fort Bragg and is going to be shipped off to Afghanistan in a little over a week. I know he'll be doing his part to help share some of the apologetics on base, but we definitely need more of it. Well, Why don't you give you. websites, phone numbers, or whatever, so that people can uh, stay in touch with you? Yeah, well, you can. Uh, the website is www dot com reason dot org uh, you can follow me on twitter at twitter dot com come reason or even facebook facebook dot com come let us reason and uh, our phone number is eight six six nine five reason r e a s o n so lots of ways to get in touch well Lenny thank you very much for being a guest on evidence for faith thank you so much Keith I appreciate it and thank you Dr Hernandez Well, you've been listening to Evidence for Faith, a ministry of Ratio Christi. Send your comments or questions to email at evidenceforfaith.com and join us again next week for more reasons to believe. And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true. Yeah,